Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinus. Makalua. The Man Team. Mega Bears Fan. All right, yes. let's let's blow this pop stand up. All right, well, hello and welcome to Polycast episode 409, where mistakes continue to be made and sometimes correct choices as well. I am the main team, joined by Canis Alvinus. You know, COVID really sucks. You should uh, make every effort to not get it. Case in point, I'm still not recovered from last show. Makalua? That reminds me, it's about booster time again. Oh boy. And Mega Bears fan. Apparently, a bunny rabbit has taken uh, my tortoise burrow as its new home. Fight it out. Um, they must fight. If the if the rabbit touches the uh, rabbit's uh, or the if the the rabbit touches the tortoise's feces, it will probably die of salmonella. Yeah, I don't know if it's actually going into the burrow or not anymore. It did a couple times at first, but uh, then it stopped. But yeah, it's apparently a, a neighborhood bunny has taken up our backyard as a home. I'm not quite sure what to do about it yet. You reminded me just now, Canis, of the uh, Siam is strictly superior to Siam, the comment from Paradox in the recent patch notes. It's pretty funny. Wait. It, the it, rabbit touching the rabbit. Oh. <laughs> I... the, uh, yeah, the Paradox gave a new EU4 patch recently, and one of the patch lines meant to say that they, like, they were making it so that one nation would not uh, be able to form the other because one is strictly superior to the other. But they instead just said Siam is strictly superior to Siam. Oops. And I just I responded to that with a yo dog in the thread. But uh, yeah, the, the rabbit thing reminded me of that. It's like the 60s greater than 60 moment, only less annoying. Well, in this case, it's not an actual programming error. It's a, oh, Google Translate screwed up because um, what I'm guessing happened is the other country that was forming Siam, you know, when you translate the word from Swedish to English, it's just Siam too. So, I, we, we well know that Paradox writes their patch notes in Swedish, Google translates or uses some sort of automated translation to put them in English, and doesn't reread them to make sure that there's nothing like that. So I, sometimes... I like somebody's giving them a look, because like, as good as auto-translate is, and it is way better uh, these days than it was like 10 years ago, um... It, there's still few enough errors that I would be dubious that the auto translate's doing it that well. I don't know auto translate. Like the, they probably don't have like a true native speaker who like only has done mostly English his whole life looking through it or something. But like it's not that bad. The weird thing is Sweden Swedes in general, at least native Swedes, tend to already know English as well as or better than most Americans anyway. So yeah. I don't. Sure. And that includes a decent chunk of the dev team, so I'm sure like somebody looks at it. It's just like those are a huge list of patch notes, so you're gonna like. <laughs> I mean, I could miss that if I wasn't looking carefully, very easily, especially if it's something that I wrote. Yeah, you kind of. It was just an amusing that. thing. It wasn't like a major yeah. screw up. <laughs> yeah, you go over your own stuff you've written, you get kind of a mental blindness. That's why you have editors. Yeah, or even just like a friend proofreading your stuff yeah. in college, like anything like that. Yeah, it's it's hard to be perfect um, with your own material. And one thing that helps a lot it, when you're reading or proofreading your own writing is to read it out loud yourself, because mm. your ear will catch certain things that your eyes don't. Um, I do creative writing as a hobby, and uh, one of the things that I do when I, like, if I ever complete 
a like a novel type story or a short story or anything like that where it has a definitive ending uh, the thing i will do is put it in like an envelope or a um file you know and uh, not look at it for six months and then come back with fresh eyes and when i do that i immediately see glaring holes in what i have done and that always makes the story better which by the way is something that sid meyer advocates when he does game development he says if you've got an idea and you can't make it work just put it on the shelf and come back in a year and see if you can make it work then i don't think publishers like that uh technique very much though well this he said this in relation to the dinosaurs game yeah which i believe no no publisher knew anything about at the time but well, plus, if you, as the designer, are concluding that you cannot presently make the thing work, uh, it's probably not a good idea to put it into the game. And I would, like, I would hope the publisher would understand that as well. Now, not all publishers do, but generally speaking. News topics? Let's talk yeah, about I, I threw us off topic in like almost record time. That's okay. We're still experimenting with the the fancy um, intro topics. <laughs> We're barely out of the intro and already something's rolling down the hill. It's okay. Wee. So our first news topic today is that um, you know, Sid Sid's uh, or Sid Meier's civilization is still ex- is still ex- celebrating its third 30th anniversary and as a result they uh, 2k has decided let's put out some new um merchandise so they put out this little notebook that says hashtag one more thought on the front <clears throat> and it's got uh what i assume is fake leather for a cover because you know nobody buys real leather for stuff like that anymore and it's got sid Meier's civilization with the 30 civ on the back and they also made a hoodie, and it looks like they also made a franchise t-shirt, which would be a uh, small enough thing for them to do, except they made a critical flaw. Um, does anybody actually like pullover hoodies? Bill Belichick really loves them, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he plays From Civ. what I understand. <clears throat> yeah, I, I do tend to, if I'm going to. Yeah, like I live in Las ones- I live in Las Vegas, so <laughs> it's I own I think two. If I resided somewhere that got cold, I might utilize them. Well, as yeah, I was gonna say, I think all I think all but one of my hoodies is is actually zip up, not pullover. So that's the that way. Might be the problem. That's the way mine are. I have only zip up hoodies because my hair is long, and uh, pulling a hoodie over your hair is not good when it takes a lot of energy to keep it from going all over the place. In like. November, early December-ish, uh, before it gets so cold that I want to turn on the uh, furnace in the house, but it's, you know, still ch- a little chillier than comfortable, I will oftentimes wear, like, a pullover hoodie just around the house, just as kind of loungewear. Um, but that's, that's about it. So I gotta ask, in Las Vegas, at what temperature is it chilly enough to turn on the furnace? Uh, well... When I was living alone, it was a lot cooler than when I had, you know, a girlfriend and kids. Uh, but yeah, 
and that depends on who you ask, because in this city, when the temperature drops below 80, you'll see people wearing sweaters outside. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. But for me, it's like low 60s. When I was going out, like our county fair is happening right now. And um, when I went out for the one time I went before I realized that I was still too weak to actually do anything useful, I went out in t-shirt and shorts. It was 50 degrees and I was hot and sweaty. So these super sound great. Could you send some down here? I-, I would love to, but it's Indiana. So by the time I get the the mechanical stuff set up to actually manufacture or to actually box up and ship the air down to you, it'll be like eighty again. <laughs> oh, you're getting you're you're getting like we are the uh, extra summer. Well, it's it's. People are uh, a lot of times around here are talking about how we don't have spring anymore. It's just straight from summer to straight to winter. And I just uh, have to remind these people that you have been lied to by your weatherman because he keeps telling you this is what it should be for today when actually he's giving you the average temperature, which means that it is the middle temperature between the two points that your temperature is likely to be on every day. So... You go through the month of October or September, for instance, you get um, about 15 days that are around 80 and 15 days that are around 60. The average says 70 and everyone thinks that your spring is supposed to be 70. Well, it's not. It's it's bouncing between those two because average is bad for weather forecasting, which is why in Indiana and in temperate areas that are far from large bodies of water that keep temperatures fairly constant, you have to have a diverse wardrobe. And dress in layers. Always dress in layers. But that's not dependent on living away from the water, because sometimes you have to dress in layers even when you live close to water. And now, one or more of those layers can be official civilization merchandise. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to spend $60 on a 70% cotton pullover hoodie... Oh, you think that's bad? You haven't seen the price for F1 team merchandise. Well, F1 is as monopolistic as the <laughs> NFL, so... Yeah, considering that, yeah, I, I buy, you know, uh, NFL-licensed cold-weather stuff, like $60 for a hoodie is seems very reasonable to me. Yeah. I'm used to something like that being well over 100 bucks. Exactly. The I am currently wearing a zip-up hoodie from... Uh, the Hollow Knight franchise, actually, from Fangamer, it cost me about $30. So, yeah, sometimes things are just more expensive. But Formula One is like, this is where all the rich people go to spend money. Have they added caps on expenditures yet, or are they still letting people buy their victories? No, there's a cap, because people have been complaining about it, but it's still, it's like, it's not enough, as far as the big teams are concerned, because... They have clever bookkeeping to, you know, shuffle things around and like that. And they call um, corporations shifty. We can now move to the next topic, I believe. Uh, Yeah, I hope you haven't got any support emails lately from 2K because it might be not a real one. Some unauthorized third party illegally accessed the credentials of one of their vendors to the help desk platform, and so they were sending fake uh, phishing emails, basically. They're like, please do not click or open anything from 2K support for, I don't think they've given a time frame, but definitely they're, they just give the usual, 
reset your user accounts, enable multi-factor authorization, run an antivirus program, check your account settings, you know, and remind you that 2K personnel and other people do not ask you for things like your passwords. So no corporation. Yeah, no corporation should ever ask you for your password. No. On a somewhat related note, there is an interesting PayPal uh, scam that's been going around and I've been targeted by it now multiple times. I'm getting one or two of these emails now a week where someone sends you an invoice over PayPal because apparently PayPal has this feature where you can just send anyone with a PayPal account an invoice for services. And so it's a legitimate invoice and it comes from a paypal.com domain like it's a valid actual paypal you know email it's not like a lot of phishing thing where it's like some you know junk alphabet soup url like it's from paypal and basically saying you you owe like a thousand dollars or whatever or or, you know 999 dollars or whatever uh for some something that you supposedly bought and it'll say in a description it's going to ship it to you in like 24 hours or whatever upon receipt of payment and then there'll be like uh you know text about like if you believe this is in error contact support and it'll give you a phone number or a url to click on and it's a twofold scam either the person goes to the invoice and just pays it because they don't know any better in which case this company just gets free money or you call the number and they spoof uh paypal support and then get you to like, you know, give them remote desktop control of your computer or whatever, and then they do all kinds of malicious stuff. So if you ever get an invoice from PayPal for something that you did not pay for, uh, don't don't pay it. Don't call the uh, the support number. Uh, if you need to go to PayPal support, like log into PayPal and go to support through there. Do not call the number that's on the invoice. As a general rule, it's a good idea to not pay invoices for things that you didn't order or receive. Right, which is why they put the... So the bulk of people falling for the scam are going to be the people who call the support number to, like, cancel it or dispute the charge, not realizing that it's... You know, because everything else on the email is legitimately from PayPal, except for that phone number. So they're hoping on... You know, they're banking on people not realizing that the... all the links and everything are from PayPal, but the phone number isn't. So they call the phone number and then they get, that's where they get scammed. But you know, hey, if they just pay the invoice, you know, whatever. Hooray for the scammers. No, never hooray for the scammers. <laughs> no, uh, uh, very much agreed. <clears throat> there was a slash S after his sentence. Sarcasm. But I did think that that was a particularly clever uh, scam in that it is a much harder one to like, immediately recognize as being a scam like, I, I think more, more people would be more likely to think that oh someone hacked my paypal account and is buying stuff right so you call yeah. the support number and then yeah i have this one is a bit more uh, plausible than a lot of other scam attempts which is makes it more dangerous in a sense yeah and anytime if you ever think something's been hacked don't click any links and emails go directly to the actual website of the vendor or whoever whether that's paypal or ebay or whoever you've bought from Although those that can be dangerous too if they're still hacked. That's um, true. Yeah. Just because you're giving them some information that can compromise you. I you're have not giving them your password or whatever. Yeah. I have one of those really old email addresses for my business that um, the account for the email was made in like 1995. So, like thirty some years ago, this account was or this. Uh, email address became the business address for our, or the email address for our business and 
it was also shared at the time because at the time we didn't know that email addresses were going to be so easy to get with um, one of the grandkids of the previous owner. So uh, she was a teenager and um, the internet was a much more uh, wild place back then. Less security, less unscrupulous activity going on, but email addresses were not as protected as they are now by people because scamming wasn't as big a deal. So this email address is probably on every scam email address list that exists just because it's so old and has been used in enough places that over time it's just accumulated. We get probably close to 150 spam emails a day on that, on that um, email address. So I see quite a bit of interesting stuff. Yeah, for that very reason, I still have a old early 2000s AOL uh, email that I always use whenever I need to like, you know, create accounts for, you know, web services or whatever. And then whenever I have to do actual personal correspondences, I have like a Gmail that I do for that. So yeah, my AOL, I get like 50, you know, spam messages and, you know, scams and stuff every day. Uh, and in most cases, I just control A and mark everything as red. I'm, I can't do that because the spam filter we use is a little bit more aggressive than it probably should be because sometimes it flags legitimate emails because you know when we get emails from random people across the country who have weird email addresses sometimes the spam filter catches those and don't want yeah. that to happen but in my case it's not so many that i can't just skim through like the sender and the subject line and be like oh yes that's legitimate so don't don't mark that as red but also i don't immediately delete them so in case there actually was something in there that I should have read. You just go through the, you know, red mail folder and it's still there. Yeah, we still get, I think um, yesterday there were 50 identical emails shilling Viagra pills. So <laughs> the old ways are still alive, but the new ways are there too. Ah, well, all right. Let's uh, move on to something that I think might be a first uh, for Polycast, which is, I believe this is the first time that we ever have a topic about a peer-reviewed academic research paper. Uh, so we're, we're potentially breaking new ground here. I don't know, maybe we can go back to some of uh, uh, Dan's old spreadsheets. Maybe he had a topic at some point, but... Um, I, I, I do not feel confident in my ability to remember well enough to say that this is the first time we've done something like that, but I know that we have discussed other research papers um in tangentially at least yeah yes in indeed i do remember that but this time we've got an actual academic paper so this is something that is posted on springer link uh it is titled good gamers good managers question mark a proof of concept study with sid meyer's civilization it was uh written in the review of managerial uh sciences in 2021 uh, I don't know, do you want me to give no, the authors too? That's okay. not right. Um, oh, let's go with the um, the website or the um, the the news article that goes with it, so we can um, make fun of them. Nice. Okay, so this is a news article that is in um, Game World Observer, published by um, I don't know who that is, Evgeny Ob Obedkov. And he, um, or she, I'm not sure if that's a female name or not, because I'm not very culturally literate about Eastern Europe. 
they're talking about he he slash she mentions this paper as a proof of concept study that was published in 2020 and that's all he uses to reference this particular article and um if um you know anything about legitimate and correct journalism practice you are supposed to list the who what where when and why as in who published the study when was it published where was it published you know that kind of yeah. stuff so yeah, the, the news article is like oh it was on reddit yeah pretty much so <laughs> oh dear. the actual information that we're looking for is um published in review of managerial science february 4th 2020 by alexander simons et al and they are from the universities of Liechtenstein, rotterdam and munster yes so we'll try to get our citations correct <laughs> well i just gave um, the citation yeah so they picked 50 german-speaking business students who volunteered uh to participate in the research project average age 20 years 24.1 years 25 75 male so it they sounds like that was like probably a combination of uh um ah, what am i looking for graduate students and uh what, post-grad students if their average age was 24 yeah or uh alternately it could just be that they were ha they had some other restrictions i don't know it doesn't say so they're probably grad students they were given a copy of civ 5 with add-ons and a chance to win one of six prizes, including a notebook, a tablet computer, and a Civilization board game. They had one month to learn to play the game. Ten of them later withdrawed from the study, withdrew from the study. They then organized ten four-hour multiplayer matches. Each of them included four, in, four participants with an, under anonymous Steam accounts and usernames. All of them played as George Washington on a Pangea map with the difficulty set to Emperor level. After the, after the games were played, the participants were, were offered to take a series of assessments to measure their managerial skills. And what they found is that uh, games like Civilization can be used to assess uh, problem-solving skills. So like, you can actually use the game to test how well a person uh, solves problems and uh, organizes, uh, and also to test their organizational skills. Uh, and that it can also provide useful insight for profilers and recruiters for job searches. So uh, apparently, this study is promoting that people should cite their past experiences in Civilization or perhaps other similar management games like SimCity uh, for possible uh, job applications. I want to see a banner over the testing center that says, if you suck in the game, you suck in real life. That would be amazing. Yeah. I would, uh, for the moment, not put this stuff on your resume, because <laughs> uh, if you say, well, I have 8,000 hours in Civilization VI, they're going to be like, you are obsessed with a video game. Not sure I want you on my team. Well, yeah, they'd have to have, your recruiters would have to have the belief that uh, your capability in the game would somehow predict uh, effective now, uh, practices in your job, which, uh, you know, maybe if they've seen this article and seen that it's correlated, they might buy it. But, it, you know, it's correlated at best. And that's a useful thing to point out, because uh, it's not clear whether improving your ability at Civ or any other game will improve your ability at other stuff. Uh, it might just be that people who are uh, good at other things uh, related to it are also good at Civ. Uh, so. 
Yeah. I think their their key assertion was that you can use these games to test how they to to test their problem solving and organization skills of candidates rather than yeah i think that's fair because i mean the the games present problems and such and i don't know if this is going to be better than any other way you might uh be able to predict somebody's problem solving based on testing them there's so- probably more efficient ways than having them sit down for a game of Civ, considering the time involved so hypothetically, next time I go in for like uh, a programming or software engineering uh, job interview, they might just sit me down in front of a computer running Factorio and ask me to uh, <laughs> to finish one of the harder levels. Well, yeah, I mean that would probably take hey, a while. Yeah. But... <laughs> Are there levels in Factorio? I don't know. I haven't I played. I, I haven't actually played it. So. I haven't played Factorio yeah, because it seems like the kind of thing that my brain would just go either hyper addicted to or just phase out thirty minutes in. But uh, I do know that in Factorio, the amount of complexity and managerial requirements increases exponentially as you research more technology. So I think it's just a sandbox. Yeah. Now, we, we do kind of laugh a little bit and mock the idea of like putting something like civilization uh, experience on a resume. But I actually do have an, an anecdotal kind of tangential story, which is I have actually gotten two jobs because of my Star Trek fandom. Uh, mm-hmm. and, the reason, and the reason for that is because when I was in college, I uh, worked at uh, the old Las Vegas Hilton uh, off the Strip, had a, a place called Star Trek The Experience, which is like a little, you know, Star Trek-themed gift shop, and uh, they had like a little motion simulator ride thing. And I worked at the gift shop for like two years, and I had that on my resume as work experience. And... Uh, in two cases, when I applied for jobs, either the person who was going through the applications, who was in charge of hiring, or of that person's wife, was a big Star Trek fan. And uh, when they saw that on the resume, um, they were like, oh, we should interview this kid. Mm-hmm. And um, in the second case, uh, it was actually for a programming uh, job. Uh, they did the technical interview, uh, which presumably I must have passed because I ended up getting the job. And then... Uh, like after the the you know lead software architect guy was done asking me the technical questions, the like project director who turned out to be the big Star Trek fan uh, asked me, uh, "So can you tell me who Richard Daystrom is?" And like I kind of went into uh, uh, like a little bit of a panic mode because I was still in like job interview mode, and I was thinking <laughs> like, "Oh, this must be like some like famous computer scientist or something." I'm thinking like names like Dykstra and stuff like that, and like, oh. Like, who is this? What did he do? Uh, and then, you know, the uh, hiring director recognized that I was, you know, a little bit confused and was like, you know, the uh, uh, head of the Daystrom Institute. And I immediately caught on and I was like, oh, and the inventor of the duotronic computer uh, chips and isolinear chips and the M5 computer. And then we just started nerding out about Star Trek for like <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> I gotta Always. say, I, I, I've been on a few interview panels, uh, not too many, but enough. And there are things I've seen on those, on many resumes, where I would be much more impressed if somebody said that they had, like, they could reliably win on Deity, or that like, they have the Three Mountains achievement in EU4 oh, or yeah. whatever. Because those are actual compliments, or actual accomplishments that are pretty difficult for most people to achieve. Whereas some of the other things that are put on the resume are either like, platitudes or uh, i'm not sure they're even positive (laughs) in some cases there's some bad resumes 
that come through when you look at them all. So you got a work ethics, uh, a work ethic. Uh, uh, what what was it called? The the work ethics certificate from the state of Indiana that only required you to um, always be in school every day for no uh, for with no absences. And oh, it, for perfect attendance. Yeah, for it's perfect like attendance and doesn't make any uh, accommodations for things like, oh, your uncle died and you have to be in on the other side of the state for a few days to make sure that things don't go haywire, which I probably shouldn't have been required to do that as a teenager, but that's the way things are. And they also don't care if you're like physically injured to the the degree where attendance in physical like a physical presence at the school would not be at all appropriate well to be fair this was back in the time before zoom calls were viable no i'm just i'm recalling that my high school had a similar thing and uh yeah there there were some people for which it was just completely impossible no matter how tough or whatever they were or how dedicated you just they they couldn't go physically at the school so i I guess get screwed by that whatever and then you maybe get si- not respect the thing. You get situations where, like, at, I know that this happened at our university once, and then it got overturned because of obvious reasons. But there were professors that were like, "I don't care if we got eighteen inches of snow last night; you will be in class or you will fail." So um, some of the kids did. At least one of them died in a car accident, and um, they were like, "Huh, maybe we should review this." And then there was another big storm that year. And um, it was more of an ice storm, so there was like a quarter inch of ice all over everything. And this time, the same professor had a student fall and severely injure themselves, like multiple fractures in the same arm, many surgeries required type thing, trying to get to class so she wouldn't fail. And um, the university took far too long to deal with that problem. And that guy's just a douche, generally. Yeah. yeah, that's ridiculous. In my experience, most college professors don't care whether or not you show up to class as long as you take the tests and turn in whatever work yeah. is assigned. Yeah, and that's that's the standard. Now, you need to be a certain kind of personality to manage to keep up with the material without going at all. Uh, but yeah. you can. It is possible. And for sure, you know, in my experience as well, most professors give preferential treatment to the students who actually do show up and participate in classes. So if you if you show up to their office hours and you've never been to a class and you ask for help, they're probably going to be like, well, why don't you ever come to class? Because you could ask that question during class hours and not bother me during my office hours. Also, who are you? It's less likely these days, though, because you get recordings of materials. Yeah. Or at least a lot of places have that available. To be so, fair, like, you you probably did watch their lectures, and you probably watched them on double speed or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, the the college scene is quite different. <laughs> Things have changed since our time. Well, now when I was in college, which like like twenty years ago, they actually had a streaming option on one of the classes, just one, and you had to like pre-download the file to watch the stream because obviously connections at the time weren't good enough. Uh, but there has been streaming of classes in some capacity since the early 2000s, at least, and maybe a little bit uh, longer than that. Well, before that, it's not like proper streaming on a computer, but the community college stuff that I went to also had what they called the telecampus. But they had a special television station. I don't remember if it was only if it was cable or if it's public access or whatever, but they televised lessons. You know, it was like a videotape lessons that they broadcast and you could watch that and go to class that way for certain things. Well, that and there's also, I think, a fairly long standing practice for some 
professors. Uh, it's not a practice that I like or endorse, but a longstanding practice, nevertheless, of just reading all of their lectures verbatim off of like PowerPoint slides, which, you know, even before the availability of internet streaming could be easily, you know, distributed uh, over the internet or over yeah. networks. I was yeah. taught that if you have a PowerPoint presentation with more than five words on it, you are doing it wrong. Oh, it's a little excessive, <laughs> but that is generally taught in business class that what you put on the slides should not be identical to what you're saying. What you're putting on the slides is a visual aid for what you are saying. Yes. I had a professor in one of my like sophomore computer science classes who literally every lecture was like a 50 or 60 uh, page PowerPoint slide with literal copy pasted paragraphs out of the textbook that he just read from verbatim. Well, that's just a study guide then. <laughs> like, you don't need the lecture. You just, like, okay, this is what the professor thinks is important from the book, and it'll probably be on the test. So, I guess look at this. How to tell when your <laughs> professor has given up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that television thing, I think they started it in the late 80s. So, there's been some form of sort of streaming your classes for quite a while. It's just the technology was different. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot more easy and commonly accessible now because, like, you'd only get that for some classes. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, now that it's trivial to record stuff uh, and uh, pretty easy resource wise to distribute it, it's oh. all over the place. And it's like it's becoming the method uh, for a lot of stuff. Post COVID world and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You well, know, COVID's accelerated it, but the trend for that had been going on for uh, more than half a decade prior to COVID as well. I actually learned my theory of computation from an Indian university because the guy at my university was so incompetently bad at teaching that nobody understood any of what he was saying. Anyway, we should probably move on to a Civ-related topic. <laughs> yeah, I know we're like 40 yeah, minutes in and we've about Civ yet. Okay. Uh... Thread started by Vonstad. Should uh, Elizabeth II lead England in Civ 7? It's a <laughs> I mean, little I can, soon. I, I can read the opening post, but I think you can guess uh, what is being requested in this particular topic. Yeah. <laughs> that said, uh, this would bother me a lot less than some other leaders that made it. Hey, I've pitched in the past that I think Angela Merkel would have, uh, you know, made a, a good choice for, uh, for a leader. So, I mean, political uh, realities in the last oh, eight months have made that highly unlikely, considering her um, a relationship with a certain dictator we will not name. Yeah. <clears throat> All that said, uh, if Civ 7, if, if you like said you must put one of these two leaders in Civ 7 and then said... Elizabeth II or Stalin. I mean, come on now. <laughs> and yeah, Stalin's okay. actually been in earlier Civ games. So, so it's yeah, Churchill. I mean, I it's not like I would be offended by her presence, but it would be a little odd. It's like so far when they've tried to put more modern leaders in, they've stopped around World War II-ish and not done anybody much later than that. So she feels <laughs> in a sense like too recent, but I would not be upset if they did that either, though. Well, well now wait a minute. There World War Two relative to like Civ One and Two, and Civ Seven relative to Elizabeth is about the same time frame. <laughs> yeah, at this point, maybe. Hey, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. She, I was, she was alive it's... during World War Two. She wasn't ruling the country, but no, no she no. she was working as a mechanic in the military. Yeah, yeah. 
Which is why uh, I think if they do put Elizabeth II in Civ Seven, her um, she shouldn't be dressed as a monarch. She should be dressed as a mechanic. <laughs> oh my gosh! Army officer Elizabeth, that would be neat. Or like, well, they could do things like change the outfit of the leaders, uh, depending on situation too, and that could be one of them. So we're gonna give her like a Rosie the Riveter kind of vibe. Yeah, except the British version. Yeah. Um, I, I will say though that there might be legal complications to putting someone like Queen Elizabeth into the game. I think the reason that they they stop at like World War II or you know early Cold War era leaders it might be for legal reasons because I I was looking up earlier uh, this morning there is a something called uh, right of publicity which is essentially copyright law for a person's name and likeness. And uh, different, obviously, just like copyright law, different jurisdictions have different you know, rules regarding how name and likeness can be used and how long the law applies for. And uh, I, I don't know what it is in the UK, but I did see that in California, which has some of the, the stricter versions of this law because of how many you know, movie actors and celebrities and stuff live and work in California. Uh, they have a right to control the distribution of their name and likeness for 70 years after their death. Uh, at which point that right is managed by their, you know, their family or their estate. So basically name and likeness might not become like, I guess, public domain. I'm not sure if that would be the right word or not. Might not become public domain for, you know, half a century or later after a person's death. So unless Firaxis and 2K get permission from the royal family to use Elizabeth II's name and likeness uh, in a game, they might legally not be able to. Does that apply to political figures? I, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're still... Probably, the, the, these kinds of things it would not surprise me one bit if it changes a lot based on location, like based on country, maybe even based on state. Uh, so <laughs> I could see where Firaxis wouldn't want to mess with it, unless, yeah. of course, uh, her estate was cool with it or wanted it to happen, in which case, uh, yeah, that barrier would go away. But accepting that, uh, probably not. Yeah, I just looked it up for a few minutes this morning, and the example that I found was, like I said, California. So I have no idea what it's like in the rest of the U.S., let alone in uh, the United Kingdom or the rest of Europe or or other countries. Um, but yeah, there there could be legal hurdles. And as far as like how the right applies to like political politicians and stuff like that, there's probably also some equivalent of like fair use, you know, that allows people to actually like show news, you know. That has pictures and video and stuff of, you know, presidents and monarchs and stuff like that uh, without getting sued for essentially copyright infringement. It wouldn't be copyright. It'd be something. <laughs> it'd be something else. Yeah. I don't know the, the name for it offhand. But whatever yeah. the equivalent is. I mean, I don't know if it would be libel slander. I don't know if if that's the well, bucket. It would have to be a negative under. portrayal for that. So I think it would be hard to it, I think it'd be hard to go using the standard. Like the the stuff we're familiar with, but yeah, it would not surprise it, me at all. If there's a different law in the books relating to this, like unjust enrichment or something. Uh, yeah, I, I like I said, I just did a, I did a quick Google search when when Canis put this this topic up this morning. 
uh, like five minutes of it just to, just cause I was curious, like does, is there copyright law for name and likeness? And, and that was what I found. So if anybody listening to this after the fact, uh, knows and would like to post comments, uh, to explain this to us and our other, uh, listeners, that would be much appreciated. Someone who knows more about this sort of law than we do. So, uh, I uh, just discovered that Indiana's law on personality rights is stronger than California's. Oh, wow. Ours lasts for a hundred years. Well, well, but are the limitations more or less uh, severe is another question, though. Yeah. Yeah, it might be a hundred years of virtually no protections. <laughs> Protecting not only the usual thing, name, image. Strict. In Indiana, it protects not only name, image, and likeness, but also signature, photograph, gesture, distinctive appearances, and mannerisms. Wow. Yeah, I think the California law covers yeah. most of those as well. So, yeah, you're, uh, you're right. It could very well be stricter than California. And as somebody pointed out in the thread, England has a lot of other leaders they could pick from to represent even even go back to Elizabeth I if you wanted to. They don't have to necessarily pull Elizabeth II just yet. Right. I mean, I'd like to see somebody who's not Victoria or Elizabeth I as an English queen, but... I have in the past, uh, you know, put like characters like Richard the Lionheart in the, you know, conversation. Uh, you know, to give England more of a medieval flavoring, but uh, but he was an awful king. Yeah, but he's a recognizable and famous one. So was Henry the Eighth. That doesn't make uh, him any good. He was not materially oh, worse than rulers who have been in Civ. No, I think the most recent Civ leader is actually Haile Selassie. Yeah, and that again is, I think, like a post World War II. I believe he ruled in the seventies. Oh, did he go that long? Wow. Mm. Let me look. Eile Selassie. In that case, I wonder if that actually was recent enough that uh, Firaxis or 2K had to get permission or rights from uh, his estate in order to use his name and likeness. Well, I don't know that the, the law there would make that relevant. I'm sure they at least took a look. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I still remember the case uh, where they wanted to use some particular um, Native American tribe for Civ 5 or Civ 6. I think it or one of the expansions, I think it was the Pueblo Indians. Yes, and, so that's in uh, U.S. jurisdiction. Yeah, and, well, they they went to the the actual the tribe like and asked for permission, and I guess the the tribe said no, so they ended up picking um what was it the, Shoshone. Uh, yeah, and and then yeah, mm-hmm. use them instead. So it's there's that's an interesting legal for, ground. Like, yeah. I, I think Firaxis did. I, they probably could have done the Pueblo anyway, but it would have been disrespectful and questionable. Well, and it might have resulted in a legal battle that they'd ultimately win, but not want to deal that with it. Well, and then on a related note, you know, for Civ Six, I remember there was like one, uh, what was it, Cree? Uh, there was who, who it was not happy with how uh, Poundmaker was depicted in the game. It wasn't. It was a single person who had a mouthpiece in that particular area, and he was like, "Wham, wham, wham!" Anti-imperialist uh, propaganda piece. I remember and, um, the complaint being something along the lines of like the pound maker in the game was too violent, even though he's like perhaps the most peaceful leader in the game, maybe besides Gandhi. Well, yeah, it was an entirely political statement rather than actually recognizing the merit of the representation or not. It was basically yeah. why is this Western company using our um, nation as a selling point in a game? Uh, because you're already using all of our land and whatever. And while I can understand that view, it's a little bit silly. 
But I would I would imagine that if Firaxis went to the Pueblo to ask for permission, they probably also went to the Cree. Oh, almost, almost completely so, certain. Yeah. So there was. I'm I'm very confident that permission was given. They um when they are creating these these uh, civilizations, they always go to people from that culture and source voice actors for the leader. So. You can, I can guarantee that not only did the Cree leaders know about it beforehand, they probably approved it and uh, sent them to the appropriate voice actor. Or at least, yeah, referred them to somebody. A native speaker, for instance. But yeah, Haile Selassie was emperor of Ethiopia until 1975. Ooh. 1974, it looks like. I mean, I'd be surprised if Thraxis couldn't include native tribes in the game if they didn't want to be. And like, they're probably just avoiding bad PR with that. It's like, we don't need permission from France to put France in the video game and like use some old historical ruler alongside that. Like they don't have the rights to Napoleon so that they can sue yeah. us in the United States for making France in a game. And I don't see that the, any of the tribes would be materially different insofar as that they are a distinct uh, entity from the U S it would be very similar to that then. True, but there would be practical considerations, like we were just mentioning. Oh, absolutely. And with like, regards to things like sourcing voice talent, like it, there are plenty of f- fluent French speakers to get to to voice, you know, Napoleon or whoever. But if you have to go to the the Pueblo or the Cree or whoever for them to give you someone who can, yeah. you know, speak the language and they refuse, then it's like, oh well, you know, I mean, legally, sure, we could, but are we gonna, you know? butcher their language and then look even more disrespectful yeah well, you know there's there's a lot to be said as an organization for not being a jerk yeah <laughs> especially if you want people to like you and buy your stuff uh, well, so i i am 100 on board with fraxis acting in a way where they're not being jerks about it oh absolutely fraxis as a whole is pretty um aware that civilizations are very personal to people and can be problematic if you are talking about a group of people who feels they are oppressed whether they are or not is irrelevant in this case but you know if somebody says please don't add our leader because he's spiritually important to us and we don't want to see his name like even if it's that they don't want it to be publicly widely known just because of how the internet culture kind of just destroys and distorts everything that that people know I can understand why they would be that way. And Firaxis is probably like, you know what? That's perfectly fine. There's five other Native American tribes in this state that would that we can talk to if we really want to, if we really need somebody. So the conclusion here is that due to a quirk in Civ 7 programming, Elizabeth II, who is included, will have a particular inclination to carpet bomb you like crazy. Enjoy. It doesn't sound like Elizabeth II. Oh, it'll be a mistake with the programming. I liked the idea that um, she would be like the decolonization queen where she could oh, yeah. she could uh, release cities on other continents and make them into free cities that were allied to her in some way. It was just like, that would be interesting, but what do you that get, could, it, what do you get out of that? To 11 and make it annoying as hell so that she's constantly trying to quote unquote liberate everybody's cities. It would also be especially interesting if, if you know, Civ 7 also has like the multiple leaders per civilization approach that, that Civ 6 took, where there is also a colonialist leader for 
or England or, or the UK or Britain or whatever. So you have, you know, those two very divergent and in fact, you know, potentially contradictory play styles uh, for the same nation. That, that could also be an interesting approach. Or you could just win domination as Elizabeth II, because why not? But I also, do, everybody. I, I also do think that the idea of a, you know, because we've had in, in Civ, uh, uh, Civ 5, you know, we had the... Um, uh, Venetians, which was a basically a playable, you know, city state, and we've had cities that are uh, civilizations like them and uh, Austria as well that annex city states. I would like to see a civilization in one of these games that does create city states. I think that would be a cool. That would make uh, more sense for Alexander, though. Yeah, I, I've pitched in the past that that should be like Greece's ability that you know they they found city states that are then allied to them and give them extra bonuses as opposed to uh, just building their own cities that they then rule but uh yeah but that that could work like you were saying with a, a decolonizer uh decolonizer leader who you know restores independence thus creating city states you reminded me of that drunken honor venice game that was fun <laughs> clearly the best choice on venice in five you just like to pick honor all the time what are you talking about picking on i had a good run with venice no no, no. <laughs> huh i i just looked back at Haile Selassie's wiki page. Apparently, uh, people consider, uh, like, the Rastafarian movement considers him to be literally God incarnate. That's interesting. So, um, that puts a whole new spin on, uh, is he appropriate to be in a video game if people consider him to be God? It's fine. He was the leader of a country. Okay. Well, I agree, but there are those who would complain. They can complain. They just yes, shouldn't inform the decision. You can complain of all sorts of things. And and we do have, you know, examples of that, like, for example, a certain uh, Islamic prophet who uh, people would get very upset about if he were to be depicted visually as a leader in a game. Yeah. Well, yeah, well the, the stronger the resistance, the more the game company is likely to consider it. But also, the more likely they are to become violent, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I, 2K and Fraxis do not want people, you know, issuing death threats and putting bombs outside their offices, for sure. Yeah, yeah, almost certainly why Israel is not a civilization or, you know, Judea, the historical Israel, because too many people would be like, oh, I'm going to throw a bomb at you, which is a sad state of affairs, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I understand. I understand why the company wouldn't want to do it over that, but I also, like, man, you're, you're kind of giving credence to the threat. Yeah, I, I personally feel like if we can add Georgia to civilization, we can add Israel or Judea and or even Sumeria if you want to disguise it even more. But they have a much larger outsized influence on the history of the world than Georgia did. So I don't know. I also might be biased because I'm a Christian, but well, I'm not a Christian and I agree with you. Well, shall we wrap up then? We have one more topic that we didn't get to, and I know it's one that uh, Mega Bears fan really wants to talk about, so we'll give it more um, time to develop on the next show. Yeah, the thread about it's 
not new and as a concept it would be a civ 7 thing anyway so well yeah it's part of the research lab yeah also welcome back to the research lab evergreen oh i get to do the outro okay this has been uh, 409 the 409th episode of polycast i just about said the official podcast of acs which it's not anymore Uh, i've been listening to old shows forgive me uh we have been joined with me canis albanus and makalua oh it is time for lunch now woo food the me and team civ 7 will have me as a leader due to create a leader and mega bears fan and then we shall all declare joint war against phil (laughs) Oh, that sounds like a fun time. I would suggest making Phil the leader of the independent cities, but I think that would be better served by Sid himself. You know, we're going to... Probably. We're going to outrage Phil. You don't want me leading those, not in a Civ game. (laughs) We're going to outrage Phil by making him the most pacifistic leader ever. Even Oh, that would be be unacceptable. (laughs) That would be unacceptable. (laughs) He's going to make me more friendly than Gandhi. Screw off. We're going to give him that thing like Canada where he can't declare surprise wars. <laughs> no, what we'll do is we'll make him as aggressive as Montezuma, but every time he declares uh, a fest- uh, uh, declares war on somebody, he gets a 75% unit maintenance increase. Even that's better than being pacifistic. <laughs> I mean, you are so aggressive about the standing army tax. <laughs> that's, that's to troll other people, not myself. Uh, every every declaration of war that Phil attempts to make goes to the World Congress for every other Civ in the game to approve. <laughs> uh. So then we get a situation where it's like, hey, I'm Cyprus. Can I join NATO? And Turkey's like, no, or something okay. like that. I think I well, will be the leader of the World Congress's peacekeeping wing. We have to sure that the world is going properly. We have to be fair. We have to be fair to Turkey here. Greece did the same thing with Macedonia. So, um, balance in all things. Except video games, because unbalanced video games, especially RTSs, are much better than balanced RTSs, because those are boring. (laughs) Anybody remember... Did anybody ever play Day of Defeat? No. Sounds like a World War II game, right? It's a World War II... Um, I think it's a source mod, or it's it's in the source engine, and it is currently sold by Valve, but I believe it was a mod in the early days, but it has a map that you play Normandy Invasion, and it is very one-sided and very unfair, but it is still a very loved map because of how unique it was, even though there was almost no chance that the invaders would actually be able to survive. So, balance is for the birds. Well, there's certainly something to be said about, uh, you know, a game that is inherently challenging by, you know, being unbalanced. Well, this is a multiplayer game, so... Oh, oh. Yeah, it was an unbalanced multiplayer game. So, even though, if you... Like, people didn't want to play on the German side because it was too easy, but they still would have to because... If they didn't have enough players on that side, the game couldn't play. This was back in the early 2000s, so I don't know if they had fancy matchmaking techniques like they have now, but anyway. Civilization 3... Four, five, Beyond Earth, and six sound clips, copyright, Take-Two Interactive. 
copyright the polycast at the polycast.net.